Will you please join me in the prayer for elimination? Let us pray. God, the more we know you, the more it is that joy dances in our souls. So as we open pages of our family's history, show yourself in its words. Whisper your love in our ears. Draw us to the embrace of your arms. Let our hearts beat a little faster as we hear the sound of your voice so near. Amen. The scripture this morning comes from Psalms 51, verses 1 through 13. Have mercy on me, God, according to your faithful love. Wipe away my wrongdoings according to your great compassion. Wash me clean, completely clean of my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Because I know of my wrongdoings, my sin is always right in front of me. I have sinned against you, you alone. I have committed evil in your sight. That's why you are justified when you render your verdict, completely correct when you issue your judgment. Yes, I was born in guilt, in sin, from the moment my mother conceived me. And yes, you want truth in the most hidden places. You teach me wisdom in the most secret place. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and celebration again. Let the bones you crushed rejoice once more. Hide your face from my sins. Wipe away all my guilty deeds. Create a clean heart for me, God. Put a new, faithful spirit deep inside me. Please don't throw me out of your presence. Please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Return the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach wrongdoers your way and sinners will come back to you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I have a confession to make, a number of them. This is the first time using my little clicker thing, so if I get it wrong, Jake's gonna help me out, but we'll get it, it'll be good. And um, I have another confession to make, a serious one. I can, I can be a really, really bad human being. Um, you know that guy who drives past that long line of traffic and then sort of like edges in at the last minute? Uh, I've totally done that. Um, it feels really good to get that off my chest, so thanks for hearing my confession this morning. Uh, and I'm sorry I cut you, um, well, not just you, you and about 80 other people. Um, I'm sorry I cut 81 people off in traffic. Um, so, oh man, it feels good to get that off my chest. I have another confession to make. Um, I did, I, I drank the last Coke. I'm sorry, it was sitting there and it was just looking at me. It was begging for me to just take it and pop it open and drink it. It was cold, it was icy, it was me, it wasn't anybody else. I'm sorry, I drank the last Coke, please don't be mad. So, there's confessions like that, right? Confessions like that, kind of the small stuff. And then there's the bigger stuff, all right? The stuff that kind of gets stuck in the back of your throat. Like, uh, honey, um, I, I went over budget. Or, um, I forgot to pay the mortgage. Like, like, 
for three months. <laughs> uh, or the more serious ones, really. You know, like, yes, Mrs. Smith, I cheated on the test. That's why we have the same answers. Or, um, I went to his house and I'm not proud of what I did. Or, I was the person who started that rumor about you. It, it was me. These sort of big deal confessions, they get stuck in the back of our throat because confession is tough. Admitting that we are wrong and that we've messed up is tough and not fun. And quite frankly, it's a heck of a lot easier not to confess, right? I mean, why should I confess, you know, the big stuff? Like, who needs to know all my deep, dark secrets? Who would benefit from hearing about all the ways that I have messed up? Because we all mess up. We all have deep, dark secrets. And we all have stuff we wish people didn't know. Because if they knew, right? If they knew, well, everything would change. Our lives would be ruined. I'm not talking about the faux, honey, I drank the last Coke sort of confession, right? Very few well-balanced, adjusted, healthy people would hold out forgiveness on something like that. I mean, it's a stinking Coke, dude. Like, it's clearly not a big deal. So it's easy to confess, and it's easy to forgive. But how often have you, have I, done something like wrong? W-R-O-N-G, wrong. And needed to confess, and needed forgiveness. But we don't, right? We hold it, we kind of sit on it, we hope it goes away, we hope people just kind of forget about it. Quite frankly, to bring it up would be too difficult, it's too hard, I don't know how to do it. What if I ask for forgiveness, and what if I confess, and then they don't forgive, right? What if they don't forgive? Or what if there are consequences? Like, I, I'm not talking about I have to run to the store and buy another Coke sort of consequence, right? What if the consequences are costly, like financial or relational, maybe marital? What if it could cost me my job? What then? This morning, this morning I want to ask that question. As we consider habits that create a home run faith, I want to ask the question, why should I even bother with confession and forgiveness? Why should I even bother with this? Our text today comes from the book of Psalms. It was written by this guy named David, who was a king over a country. He was like the president, the top dog, the ruler. And he answered, well, I mean, he, he answered to God. <laughs> He's the king. He did what he wanted. He was in charge, and no one told him what to do. So one day, um, he's playing hooky. He really should be out in the battle, out in the field with his soldiers, but he decides to stay back. And he's bored, and he goes for a little stroll in the palace, and let's say that he uh, participates in a little voyeurism. Right? He's out there just kind of looking around, and he happens to see this, this beautiful woman who is bathing. Now David, being a man after God's own heart, should have probably just looked the other way, right? But he, he doesn't. He persists in his voyeurism, and he says, Ah... I need to engage in that. So he, he, uh, he gets a messenger to go and get Bathsheba and brings her to the palace. Now, in that day and age, uh, king, right, and common woman, she really didn't have a choice. Let's just be clear here, right? If someone showed up and knocked on her door and said, hey, Bathsheba, the king wants you, she can't go, well, uh, I'm really busy, or anything like that. No, she's, she's going. 
She goes to the palace and uh, David does the unvirtuous thing. And he sleeps with her. Uh, and then it's all said and done, right? Being king, he can do what he wants. Uh, except for there's a little bit of a problem. There's a, a little bit of a problem. And that is uh, Bathsheba uh, becomes pregnant because of the encounter. And the problem, too, is that Bathsheba, right, is married to a guy named Uriah, who serves in David's army, who's out in the field of battle, where David should be. <laughs> so David says, okay, okay, it's not a problem. We can take care of this. He does what any normal person would do, right? He, uh, he tries to cover it up. <laughs> he says, we're going to solve this problem. We're going to solve it. We're gonna he, 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 let's bring Uriah back from the field of battle. And Uriah can, um, we'll get him drunk. That's a great idea, right? Let's get him drunk and then he can sleep with his wife and then it'll all be good. It'll all be good. This is in the Bible, folks. I cannot make this up. The Bible is very fun. It's true. So this is what they do. He cocks his plan. He gets Uriah a little tipsy maybe. And then Uriah... <coughs> Being a virtuous person says, uh, I cannot uh, be with my wife. But there's something about Jewish festivals and high holy days and that he can't be there because his men are out in the field. So Uriah does the virtuous thing while David doesn't. Classic. So it doesn't work. And so Uriah ends up going back to the field of battle to be with his men where David should be. Right? And then what does David do? He, he's in a little bit of a pickle. So let's have him killed. <laughs> That's logical. That makes sense, right? Apparently. We'll just cover it up some more. Cover it up. Cover it up. This is not happening. And so what happens is Uriah eventually dies through David's command to pull the troops back, and Uriah is slain in battle. David's plan works until a prophet comes and confronts David about his adulterous, murdering plot. That is the background of who is writing our psalm that we just heard a little bit earlier. This king, this guy named David, who was just royally messed up. He's broken his relationship with this woman. He's broken his relationship with her husband permanently. And he's broken his relationship with God. And what does David do when he's caught in this web? When he's hit rock bottom. When his relationships around him are built on lies and secrets. And he's confronted by Nathan. David confesses his sin. And then he seeks forgiveness. So what might the author of our wisdom literature, like the psalm written by David that we just heard, know about confession and forgiveness that we don't? What can we learn from the psalmist today? So first we learn that there is power in confession. We don't have to look far to see how oppressive secrets and lies are. Secrets and lies are the sort of cancer that eat away at healthy relationships. We saw that in King David's story, and we see it in our story all the time. If we choose to not confess, we are left to carry those burdens. It is when we confess that we free ourselves from the burden of secrecy and the burden of lying. But this isn't always about secrecy and lying, right? Confession works wonders when you simply made a mistake. <laughs> it wasn't malicious. 
or deviant. It was simply an error. Maybe an error of judgment. Maybe you thought you were really in the right and then it turned out you weren't. You just made a mistake. Confession works wonders because confession has power. And when you say, I messed up, really, it works wonders. When you make an error when you were in the wrong and you come to realize it, you still have a choice, much like we've been talking about so far. The choice you have is you can sit on it, hide it, kind of hope it goes away. You choose not to address the issue at all. Or you have a choice to enter into confession, to admit you were wrong, to say, I'm sorry, I blew it. And do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? In June of 2010, Detroit pitcher Armando Galarraga took to the mound and was perfect. Three batters up, three batters down. It was the final out of the ninth inning, and only 20 pitchers in all of Major League Baseball history, charting back to the early 1900s, had made it up to this point and thrown a perfect game. Now, a perfect game is when no opposing player reaches a base in baseball, right? It's when your defense is literally perfect. Let's take a look and see what happened on that day. With two outs in the night, the Detroit right-hander was just one out away from pitching a perfect game. And he's done it all, but he has not done what happened last night and has not experienced that. And now a hand for Armando Galarraga as he walks back. What a special moment here today. Wow, how many of you remember that moment in baseball history? The humility in that umpire to say, I made a mistake. And the humility in that player to say, it's okay. Wow. What confession does is it levels the playing field once again. It frees you from the burden of having to carry that for the rest of your life. And it restores the relationship. Next we learn that there is power in forgiveness. We learn there is power in forgiveness. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Joyce and Galarraga had uh, he not extended forgiveness to Joyce, that umpire? Had he said, you know what, it's not okay that you blew the call. I want it fixed. Man, that would have been devastating and incredibly difficult. This is really the crux of confession, isn't it? Because when we say things like, I messed up, it makes us vulnerable. We put ourselves out there for a reception or rejection, and that takes guts. Because in the end, what confession and forgiveness does is it draws us closer together. It draws us closer. It draws us closer to one another, and it draws us closer to the heart of God. When we let love and forgiveness be our mode of operation, it radically changes the way that we approach one another. So what would our lives look like if we practiced confession? and forgiveness at work and home. We all know terrible confessions when we hear them, right? And the worst of the worst seem to come out of the workplace. Our bosses or our corporations, man, they use these catchphrases, and you all know these, right? <clears throat> we deeply regret. Or my favorite. Mistakes were made. Mistakes were made. Or, I'm sorry that our managers made this decision. I don't work in that department. 
I don't work with them, but I'm sorry that it impacts you and your hours. Mm. A classic example of this sort of bad confession, uh, and confession is wrapped up in apology, is coming out of the mouth, is from the Enron executive Jeffrey Skilling, who said after tens of thousands lost their retirement and was subsequently charged with over 15 accounts of financial malfeasance, I'm devastated by and apologetic about what Enron has come to represent. Like, okay, dude, <laughs> uh, where to start, right, y'all? <laughs> Let's say Mr. Skilling and I were sitting down, and I was giving him some pastoral counseling. That's what pastors do, right? We can offer counseling. And we're sitting down, and he's, uh, let's say he comes to me and says, I don't know how to confess I was wrong to thousands. Please advise. <laughs> okay, so I would roll my sleeves, and I say, all right, no big deal. We all make mistakes. It's cool. It's good. It's good. And let's start with the basics. Here are the basics. One, this isn't about how you feel about Enron. It's not really about you. Two, you're the one being charged as a criminal. So you need to step up and take some responsibility for your actions. You can say, I'm ashamed of what I did, and there's no excuse. Third, you could say, I'm sorry that my actions caused loss, pain, and heartache for so many. And fourth, you could say, offer some sort of reconciliation. How are you going to make this right? You could say, this will never happen again. Or in lieu of my actions, please find a check for blank dollar amount enclosed. Right? the four kind of steps of confession. It's pretty easy. It's not about you. Take responsibility, apologize, and then offer reconciliation. It'll be very simple. I want to take a look at the, at, uh, way, uh, the way of confession with an example from my own life, and perhaps a controversial uh, example, because it involves parenting and discipline. I need to let you know something about the situation. I'm going to set it up here. So I'm going to read for a little bit, make sure I get all my words right, and then I'll launch into the story. Good? Okay, we have a three-and-a-half-year-old, beautiful, spirited little boy. His name is Emery. We, Jennifer and I, that's my wife, decided from an early stage in our marriage that when we had children, we would not spank them. Now, I know the topic of discipline and spanking, like I said, is extremely controversial. You read Scary Mommy or a New York Times post or any parenting blog and the psychologists weigh in and the parenting experts weigh in and oh, it's a little overwhelming, am I right? It's just a little overwhelming. Anyways, we made the decision not to spank our children because we knew ourselves and we knew that we would have a hard time separating our anger from our discipline, our spanking. So because of that, we decided it would be best to probably not go that route. Now, Jennifer and I, as full disclosure, were both spanked as children, and we turned out fine, well-adjusted, relatively, uh, humans, <laughs> right? It's all good. So hopefully I've set the stage for this story. My son and I are outside watering the plants. It's very, very easy. And he happens to have a hard time listening because he's three and a half. It's okay. My finger gets caught in the sprinkler, and he keeps squeezing and then laughing maniacally about it. And so I say, Emery, stop hurting Dad. And then I'm like, tears are like almost coming down my eyes. It is really hurting, and I don't know what else to do. And so I turn around, and I wallop his butt as hard as I can. And he looks at me, shocked, and says, Daddy, we don't hit. <laughs> 
And I said, I didn't hit you, I spanked you. Oh, and now you all saw the rub. And so he walked back in his house and I was left as a parent feeling like I had violated trust between myself and my son. And then I had the option, right? I'm the adult, I'm the parent, I don't have to say anything. I'm right. But I walk into his room and I pick him up and I say, buddy, I'm sorry that I hit you. We don't hit, I'm sorry I did that. Do you forgive me? Can you imagine the power that confession and forgiveness have in the life of the family? Can you imagine, and some of you, regrettably, this may not be too hard, can you imagine growing up in a house where your mom or dad never apologized? Can you imagine how difficult it would be to confess yourself as an adult when you were wrong in a situation if it was never modeled for you as a child? As parents, we are not perfect. And I want to invite you as a parent to be bold, to be a leader, and to be humble, and to admit your mistakes. This is all you have to do, just say, I'm sorry, I messed up. That's how you apologize. <laughs> That's what we teach our children to do. Man, the power that that holds in the life of a child to hear a parent say they are sorry, to ask for forgiveness from their child. We have to model confession and forgiveness in our home as Christians. We're called to it and it is powerful and transforming. And so today I have a confession to make. My confession this morning is that I have already let some of you down. I'm serious, I'm human. I know there's grace and I know you all are forgiving people. But I've already fallen short of my responsibilities as a pastor. And I will continue to mess up, hopefully not continuously and habitually. <laughs> what I'm saying is I will need your pardon. I will need your forgiveness. And the church, the church folks, is where we practice that. We are a forgiven people. In the name of Jesus Christ, as our communion liturgy says, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus, I am forgiven. We are forgiven. And it is in this forgiveness that we have to live into. We have to live into that forgiveness that is already promised to us. Maybe some of you, some of you need to hear these words this morning. You are forgiven. And you are given pardon. We are forgiven people. And it is out of that forgiveness that we can offer pardon and forgiveness to others. It is my hope and prayer that we can model confession for the world. And it is my hope and prayer that we model forgiveness for the world. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.